You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Exodus chapter number 20 tonight. Got to go watch our basketball and volleyball teams today at a, at a tournament and uh, uh, just down the road in Seal Beach here. Of course, I missed the entire first game because I went to Garden Grove instead and I uh, thought it was at a different place, but uh, showed up after that. Showed some, got uh, some support in there, and so we're excited about that for our Christian school. They're heading back there tomorrow, and that'll be fun. Exodus chapter number 20. I want us to look down here at... Uh, the next of these Ten Commandments that we're looking at. And uh, we're, we're talking about the, the, you'll see on the screen there, the foundations of morality. Now, why did I call it that? Because when you look at Western civilization, much of what we have, even in our laws, are based upon the law that God gave in Scripture. I mean, you know, thou shalt not kill, don't commit adultery. I mean, there's a lot of things in there. Don't steal, don't lie, things like that. And, uh, and, and really, it's, uh, what we have here is the bedrock, the standard of morality that we see throughout the world today. And uh, so it's, it's, it's more than just an archaic law from, you know, four to 6,000 years ago, somewhere in there. You know, it's, it's more than that, and it still means something today. So do we have to adhere to every one of the commandments in the exact same way that they said then? No, because we're going to get to remember the Sabbath in two weeks, okay? But, uh, and we'll talk more about that. But, but there is certainly here uh, more than meets the eye and stuff for us to learn absolutely. Just quickly, let's review very quickly here. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. The second, the last six commandments deal with our relationship to man. Jesus summarized all the Ten Commandments, in fact, all the law. There were actually about 613 different laws that they had to follow in the Old Testament uh, Torah that was given. And uh, Jesus summarized them in the New Testament in two ways. Instead of having to memorize all 613 or wherever they were, I think either 12 or 13, 600 and something like that, you could just memorize, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a lot easier for us. You know, I don't think we have to memorize all of those, and I'm thankful we don't. Why was the law given? To establish a standard of righteousness. This is the way God wants us to live. But also, we find that through the law, it teaches us that we cannot live up to the law. So it exposes and identifies our sin. It shows us uh, that we are sinners. And if you're ever going to get saved, if you're ever going to get, uh, get uh, transferred from, from uh, death to life and know Christ as Savior, you have to realize that you need a Savior, and that's also what the law does. It establishes that there is a level of righteousness that we cannot reach because we're sinners, and we need someone else's help, and that's Jesus Christ. And so that's uh, why the law was given. We looked at three main beliefs last week. Polytheism, the belief in more than one God. And uh, atheism, of course, the belief that there is no God. And then monotheism, the belief that there is only one God. Now, you may hear terms if in, in our day and age, like atheism, you understand what that is. Someone that does not believe in God. There's also agno or, uh, agnosticism. Uh, someone may say, I'm not atheist, I'm agnostic. What's agnostic means? It means I don't know. That's what it means. Uh, uh, gnosis in Greek means knowledge. Agnostic, no knowledge. In other words, I don't know if there is a God or not. I'm in the middle. So that's what an agnostic is. 
We didn't cover that last week. That's free for this week. We talked about pluralism. That's the belief that basically that every religion is right, which makes zero sense because they all say the other ones are wrong. You know, so how can they all be right? And uh, so just some background there to what we see. And, and we are understanding this because the children of Israel were in a polytheistic society. They were, they were coming out of Egypt, which we looked at last week, all those gods that Egypt worshipped, over 2,000 gods. And they were going into Canaan, which was a land full of false gods as well. And so we, uh, God was trying to uh, uh, give them the commands to show them there is no polytheism. There is not more than one God. It's monotheism. There's only one true God. And we saw Matthew Henry's quote, whatever is esteemed or loved, feared or served, delighted in or depended on more than God, that whatever it is, we do in effect make a God of. So we want to be careful of that. Second commandment, Exodus chapter number 20, verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray together, and we're going to dive right in. Father, bless, I pray. The next few moments we have in Scripture as we look at the Word of God, would you give us a uh, better understanding of your Word and of knowledge of you in, in all of this as well, so that we may see you in Scripture and how you want us to live and what you want us to do. God, we ask for your blessings tonight. We love you. Thank you for church. Bless this time we have together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Number one, I want you to write this in. The command or commandment, but the command. The first thing God does here in this, in this passage, he gives the command. Thou shalt not make any graven image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above and the earth or the waters beneath. And uh, so, Israelites, don't make a graven image. Don't make something and then bow down and serve it. So, when we're looking at this, we need to ask ourselves, what is the main problem God is dealing with here? First of all, let's talk about what a graven image is. A graven image, the word means idol. It's an idol. A shaped or fashioned worship icon as a god or representing a god. That's what an idol is. It's something that's been shaped or formed that is now uh, representa uh, representing, representative, or, or, or meaning to be a god. It's a worship icon. The word likeness that we see there where it says, don't make any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. Uh, that, or, that means form or appearance. Don't make anything in the form of appearance of something else. Now, Let's just stop here for a second. Is God saying that all sculptures are evil? Because a sculpture is an image of a person or animal or whatever. Are all paintings evil? Because a painting is a likeness of something in, in, in earth. Are pictures wrong? Because a picture is a represent, uh, 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 it's representing a person, it's a, uh, it's a likeness of somebody, it's not the real thing. So are all those wrong? Because it says here, thou shalt not make it of any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in earth or beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. So, so what's he really saying there? No, that's not what he's saying. In fact, 
an easy way to quell that is to think about the temple that God is about to tell them about when he talks about the mercy seat. And remember, on the mercy seat, there were two angels, the likenesses of two angels, the cherubim, the anointed cherubs that covereth, and their, and their wings point over the mercy seat. So we know that God's not saying you can never, you know, paint a picture of somebody or some, those of you who like to sculpt. I don't even know. Does anybody like to sculpt in here? Is there any sculptors? I didn't think so. No sculptors? Any, like, people that build stuff out of clay? Anybody awake? Okay, I was just making sure. No, but... Uh, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't think we had any of the just uber artistic type there. I know we have creative people, but I didn't know anybody that just had a chisel and a block of marble in their house. Okay, I'm sure I would have found that out by now. But uh, that's not what he's saying. The difference is very simple. The difference is simple. Images and likenesses are evil when they are worshipped. That's the difference. So what is God dealing with here? He's dealing with issues of worship. Now, you say, well, it's idolatry. Yeah, but what does idolatry have to do with? It has to do with worship, what you are worshiping. By the way, it doesn't matter what the image is of. It is still wrong to worship the image. For instance, if you go to a church where they have statues of Mary and you bow down to the statue of Mary, that is idolatry. Thank you for that amen. When you go and you, you, even if it is, get this, because here's what we need to see. Even if, and I think this is on your sheet here, the, an important thing to remember is that it is wrong to worship the real God in image form too. So if you say, I'm worshiping Jehovah God as this pine cone right here, you know, I've made this and that's Jehovah, I'm going to worship God, that is still wrong. God says, don't make an image to worship it. Why? He's not an image. He's a person. He is a being. And so don't, don't worship anything other than the real God. And so even if people make images and statues of, I'm going to worship Jesus on a cross and bow. No, 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 no. You better be careful because Jesus isn't on the cross anymore, folks. He rose again. So you say, well, pastors, idol worship still a thing today? yes. Idol worship is a big thing today. Hindus have 33 million gods. You go to other countries, you see statues of things that they worship and and good luck charms and all this kind of stuff. But we Americans are just as guilty of idolatry as anybody else. Our idols just look a little different. We don't worship, you know, Bacchus, the god of wine in Greek history, but we serve at the idol of, of alcohol. We don't worship Aphrodite, but we serve the idol of lust and, and those type of things. Like, that We definitely have idols in our country as well. Money, fame, popularity, likes, uh, things like that. Absolutely, we have idols in our country. The case against idol worship, very quickly here. Number one, idol worship is unbiblical. We just read it. Of course, we read last week, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, Deuteronomy 6.4. It's, it's an unbiblical practice. Secondly, idol worship is illogical. It's illogical. If the Bible is true and our God is the God, then he's not going to suffer any other gods. He's not going to allow any other gods. I love Isaiah 42.8. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord This is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. 
I like that. That's Isaiah 42, 8. He won't give his praise to graven images. Won't do it. Because he is worthy of worship. It's unbiblical. It's illogical. But idol worship is immoral. Immoral. Boy, I can't even... I can't even tell you some of the stuff that people in the Bible did in the for, to, to worship idols. I mean, there is just, uh, like, it's too, it's too gross to even talk about in mixed company what the idols looked like, what the idols represented. It, it was disgusting. It was immoral stuff that would happen. Many idol worshipers would take part in prostitution, child sacrifice, demonic activity. It's pretty obvious when you look at Scripture and you see why God was like telling them to destroy all the altars, all the temples, all the idols. When, it, when, when the children would come into Canaan, get rid of all of them because it was all immoral behavior, immoral things. So the command... Why did he give that command? That Well, we saw the command, don't bow down to the graven images, but let's talk about why he gave the command. Secondly, not only the command, but the cause. So why is God giving this command? In verse 5, he tells us the reason. It says there, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. Again, that's the issue of worship. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. A jealous God. And I remember, every time I read that God is a jealous God, I remember hearing a story that, that Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey, why did I have trouble saying that? Uh, a long time ago, left church, and basically she's formed her own religion at this point. But she left a, a Bible-believing church because she said that the pastor said that God is a jealous God, and that just made her upset because if God is so petty to be jealous, then he shouldn't be served. And to me, I just think, boy, well, she obviously did not get the meaning of what the word meant. And I don't know whose fault that is, but she did not understand what really jealousy is in a relationship. And uh, so write this in. The word jealous means ill will, ranging even to anger, based upon a desire, get this, for exclusivity in relationship. Exclusivity. Word of the day. Google it right now. No, just kidding. Exclusivity. What's that mean? God wants an exclusive relationship with you, with his people. And so if you're jealous over something, it's because I want this to myself. I want this exclusively to me and me to them. So if we summed up the first two commandments so far, we would say there is only one God and he will not share his worship with anyone else. That's really what it's talking about. But why? Write this in. Because Jehovah God is the only God, and he is the only one worthy of worship. He's the only one worthy of worship. There is no other God, and so therefore there is no other being or anything that is worthy of our worship. Now you want to go look at statues, you want to go look at pictures of people, go ahead. But the moment you, you start worshiping something, you've just angered the Lord God because he's the only one worthy of worship. Now, let's just pause for a second. Jealousy makes sense in the context of relationships. Jealousy makes sense in the context of relationships. Let me uh, put it this way. And, and, so in other words, jealousy is not always an ugly thing. We think of it as a sin. It's not always a sin. 
For instance, you would all agree with this. Uh, I'm jealous over my wife. I will not share my wife with another. That makes sense? I mean, like, every husband here ought to be like, okay, now it makes sense. I get that, right? Like, like that's just not going to happen. Because why? Because jealousy is okay in the context of relationship. Why? Because we are exclusive to one another. Like, it's, it's me and her, her and me. Uh, you know, and if anybody else gets in there, it's wrong. If anybody else comes in there, then, oh, no, you, you know, in, in an immoral way, then, boy, I tell you, now there's problems. Why? Because marriage bond is exclusive, and the relationship between you and God is supposed to be exclusive. There's not supposed to be anybody coming in between you and the Lord. And that's why God says, I'm a jealous God. I don't want some other God getting in between me and you, because that's not a real God, and that's not good for you, and you're my people, and I love you. That's what God is saying. And so it absolutely makes sense in the context of relationships. There was a show on TV. I'd never even watched it, but I used to see commercials. And it was about a Mormon family, and they were polygamous. And it was a man with like four wives. I don't remember the name of the show. It was probably unimaginative. It was probably like my four wives or something. I have no idea. But, but you, you know, like, did anybody know the show I'm talking about? Okay, thank you a few of you un, that are unafraid to actually raise your hand and say you watch TV, okay? Sometimes I'm like, anybody see that show? And we don't watch TV, Pastor. We're just too busy praying, too busy in our body. Yeah, right, you watch the show. Some of you got the T-shirt for it probably. But anyway, that show, I'm telling you, like, I, I, I would see it on TV and I'm like, what are they doing? I'm sure there was never any problems between the wives, right? They probably got along in perfect harmony sharing a husband, you know, all four wives with all different kids and all get, that wasn't awkward or weird. There's no scars or tragedies from that, I'm sure. Yeah, right. Probably a lot of issues. Even the Bible, even the Bible, Jacob, wasn't there some issues with Rachel and Leah? Hey, he's mine tonight. You know, no, no, if you want him, you got to do, yeah, there's absolutely some issues. Why? Because it's not supposed to be that way. And your relationship with God, there should be no rivalry. That's why God says, not even your wife, your husband, your parents, your kids, it's God first, because he deserves that, that place. Would you write this in? Worshiping another God is spiritual adultery. So if you let another God get in between you and the God, that is akin to spiritual adultery. And that's what God likens it to, man, you ought to read some Ezekiel passages that'll curl your toes about how God describes the adultery that they committed. And it wasn't literal. It was in the spiritual sense. So absolutely. So we saw the command and the cause, but thirdly, look at the curse. And it's not a curse in a official sense, like this is a pronouncement of a curse upon you. But look what God says here. And I think this passage can get misunderstood because we saw the jealous God thing. That can be misunderstood, but also this. Look at this in verse 5. It says, For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity or sin of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So something of this sin and iniquity is getting passed down. Now, hold your place here. I want you to see another passage. And uh, so it says they're visiting, look what it says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Now, hold your place. Go to Ezekiel 18. 
If you find the book of Psalms in the middle of the Bible, keep going to the right. One of the big books there, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18. I want you to notice Ezekiel 18, verse number 20. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. Notice what it says here. This chapter in my Bible, I have circled chapter 18 and wrote next to it individual responsibility. Because that's what the chapter is about. Look at verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Well, hold on. Do we have a contradiction? Because this says that the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. And back in Exodus chapter 20, it says that uh, visiting the iniquity of the father is upon the children. So do we find ourselves here with a Bible error? Do we find ourselves here with God forgetting what he said in Exodus when he wrote Ezekiel? No, that's not what happened. There's no contradiction. I want you to write a few things in here, okay? Answer two questions. If a father sins, does God punish the son for that sin? The answer is no. If I hate someone in my heart, God's not going to say, all right, Titus, here you go. It's not what's going to happen. Okay? So if a father sins, does God punish the son for it? No. Second question, if a father sins, is the son punished? Yes. In a way, he is. You say, well, what? Are you sufficiently confused yet? Let me explain it this way. These Israelites that we're reading about in Exodus 20, think with me, if you would, what's happening in Exodus 20, and what's happening in Leviticus, and what's happening in, especially in Numbers, and what happens in Deuteronomy, is that you'll find, especially in the book of Numbers, we get, the, we get it told to us that the children of Israel had committed some sins, they began to murmur against God. you remember this? Remember this? And what happened because of their murmuring? What happened because of their constant complaining and sin? What happened? Forty years. Forty years of wandering. And none of those people got to enter in. But here's what you need to understand. It wasn't just them wandering for 40 years. Who else was wandering? The children. So were the kids punished because of the parents? Yeah, they were in a way. Absolutely. Because sin affects more than one person. If a father goes out and spends all his money in this day and age, spends all of his money on alcohol and drugs and comes back and the family's living in poverty, are the kids suffering for the sins of the father? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and you can go down through the list and see absolutely how that works. Uh, you know, the children will be poor because the parents, uh, you know, waste all the money on this, and so on and so forth. And look at our society. Are there not kids suffering today in our city because of the sins of the parents? Man, go to the public school system and, and watch. Come to our school and look. There are kids suffering because of the sins and the decisions their parents made. And it happens all the time. Is it fair? No, sin is not fair to anybody. Absolutely not. And part of that too is this, I believe, it's also saying this, that behavior traits 
can be learned and passed down. Oftentimes you find an alcoholic grandfather, then you see an alcoholic father, and you see an alcoholic grandson. Say, oh, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's genetic. It's just in their blood. No, what we would say is this. We would call them generational sins. Generational sins. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that, like, it's hopeless? Like, okay, my father was, you know, a gambler, so it's in my blood. I guess I got to gamble. Absolutely not. Ezekiel 18, individual responsibility. But... Are there certain things, now probably there are certain things that are certain sins that are in your family that are easier for you to get hooked on? Absolutely. There are some people that take one drink of of alcohol and and they're hooked. There's some people who could drink 10 bottles of beer and not be hooked. And I know everyone who drinks thinks they're that that one or whatever. And you know, same thing with drugs and pornography and all this kind of stuff. It's one look, it's one taste, it's one this. And some people are more susceptible to other sins. But really what we're talking about here is that, look, you've learned a behavior from the grandfather or the grandmother to the, to the son or the grandson to, and on down the line. And really it's because you've learned it and now it's a hard thing to break because it's all you've known. All the Reynolds family used to do this. All, well, you know what? If that's your family, then break the chain. If that's your family and you've got the grace of God on your side and you've got a Bible in your lap, then there's no excuse for you not to break that chain and live in freedom. You absolutely can. So this is not, so, you, you have to live that way. No, you can absolutely have victory. But I do think, boy, I do think that some are suffering because of the sins of their family. So in a way, yeah, the children are punished for the sins of the parents in a way, but God's not holding them accountable for the sins of their parents. Once you write this in, innocent people are always hurt through people's sins. Innocent people are always hurt through other people's sins. And no one's innocent, we get that, but you know what I mean. Look if you would at, uh, at Exodus 20, verse 22. By the way, think about this for a second. Many of the parents that we're talking about in this scripture they would have lived to see the third and fourth generations. And they would have seen the devastation that their idolatry caused to their family. They would have seen it. Look, if you would, at uh, at Exodus 20, verse 22. I'm in Ezekiel. Where am I I doing here? Exodus 20, verse 22. And the Lord God said unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto all the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver... Neither shall you make unto you gods of gold. So God was very clear. After the Ten Commandments, he goes back and doubles down and says, don't make gods of silver and don't make gods of gold. I want you to go one more place with me. Exodus 32, please. Exodus 32. Moses is on the mount right now. Moses is getting the law from God. And there are these moments where he's come down and he's talked and now he's back with God. He's it, literally, it, we're in chapter 32, but the verse right before that says he's coming down from Sinai with the tables of testimony written with the finger of God. He's about to come down with the Ten Commandments and the tables of testimony. He's about to come down off the mount and uh, he, he's been relaying some of this to the people in between these chapters here. But he's been up on the mountaintop with God and the people are down. Why Moses is talking to Jehovah's God. God, they are down at the bottom of the hill. What are they doing? Look at verse, chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together into Aaron. 
Moses' brother, and said unto him, Up, make us gods. Wow. That didn't take long. Which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. We don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said unto them, You guys are crazy. You're going to get killed. What's wrong with you? You bunch of heathen people. You pagan, idolatrous, uh, 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 false God-worshipping people. You need to work. That would have, that's the Eli version of the Bible. That's not what it says. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in your ears of your wives or your sons and your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool that he had, uh, after he had made it a molten calf. Remember that the, the god of Egypt last week? One of the famous gods was a bull, made a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early in the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Just having a great time. Until Moses came back, that is. And then that's when the other shoe dropped. And uh, they, turned, they just turned right around. As Moses is on the mountaintop receiving these commands, God just said, don't make a graven image, and don't make gods of gold. What do they do? They turn around, they make a god of gold, and they begin to worship it. And so in the next couple of verses there, God is like, okay, that's it. I'm wiping the slate clean. I'm taking all these people off the map. We'll start again. And Moses stands in the gap. Moses, as we saw in our Sunday, I preached this message recently, about Moses standing in the gap there on Sunday. I think it's interesting that Aaron tried to stretch a hand to the world and stretch a hand to God and say, here's what Aaron was saying. I'm almost done. Stay with me. Just a couple more minutes. Aaron wasn't, they said, these are our gods. Aaron said, this is your God. They said, these are our gods, lowercase g, that brought us up out of, Israel, out of Egypt, our, you know, our apis bull, our, our, uh, you know, our Egyptian gods. These are our gods. And and, and, and Aaron said, you know what? No, this is Jehovah God. Aaron was carrying, saying that the likeness of that bull, because he said, we're going to worship and make a feast unto the Lord, unto Jehovah God. That is just absolutely against everything that God had just said to do. You ever, ever have, tell your kids, don't do this? And the next second you turn their back, they're doing it, and you're like, How? How did you have time? You know? But that's what we do as, as God's people sometimes. It's so obvious that we do this. I want you to write this in. God's people often make and worship counterfeit gods. We do. We don't call them that. We call it overtime pay. We call it Little League Baseball. We call it money. We call it, you know, the rainy day fund, whatever. I'm not saying don't have those things. I'm not saying don't play Little League. But it's amazing to me how often those things we miss church for. Those things are more important than anything related to God. 
And we have made other things idols. We're not bowing down and worshiping it. We're just thinking it's, we're just treating it as if it's more important. We make counterfeit gods. I'll say this, some Christians serve a God that they made up, but they named him Jesus. You see a lot of churches nowadays, you see what they do on a stage, and they're just worshiping and praising Jesus. I want to tell you something, a lot of churches, they worship a God they made up, but they named him Jesus. And so they'll stand up here and they'll, and they'll you know, have a, a fest and a, all this kind of, I'm not saying every church, I'm not saying that, but a lot of churches, and they'll, they'll say that they're worshiping Jesus, but that's not the Jesus of Scripture, folks, a lot of times. See, what they've done is they've made a God, and they've named him Jesus, and that's who they worship, but it's not the God of the Bible. So what am I saying? Write this in and we're done. You better make sure that you know who the God of the Bible is. You better not make up what you think God would do, what, who you think Jesus is. You know, I just think Jesus would love, Jesus just loves all kind of love. You know, love is love in Jesus' eyes. Wasn't he, isn't it say God is love? So obviously, no matter what kind of love it is, between a man and a man, a man and a woman, uh, you know, uh, what? You, you have made something of God that he is not. And, and that is idolatry. You need to know who the God of the Bible is. How, how well do you know the God of the Bible? Make sure that you're worshiping, not your, our ideals. It, it, even, even in American Christianity of who our God is, this is how you know who God is. Get back to that book. But not to be too, too uh, down tonight, but can I ask you this question? Who else will suffer because of your sin? Is there something in your life that you're like, you know what, if I keep going down this road, others will suffer? And then the last question, what should you change now before it's too late? Because you can change it. Because you can. I can't beat this. Yes, you can. You can, absolutely. Because individual responsibility. So tonight, absolutely a message that relates to us. Hope it wasn't too heavy. But I want us to see that this is something that God is serious about. Let's go home and make sure that nothing, nothing in our life comes in order of importance above God. For any reason, it is God first and God alone.